Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Helping you wake up, remembering this is our Father's world. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. again it is easter it's not easter sunday but it is easter easter season the season of easter um christ is risen he is risen indeed glory hallelujah we're gonna linger we're gonna linger on that reality and we're gonna linger at the cross and the empty tomb and we're gonna hail king jesus and we're gonna do so um with joy and thanksgiving and raised hands and raised voices and we're gonna be witnesses uh, to his resurrection, and we're going to be witnesses to his transforming power. We're going to be witnesses because that's who we are. That is who we are, the Jesus people. Call us what you will, but that is who we are, and that is what we do. So I'm uh, Carmen LaBerge. This is Mornings with Carmen. Thrilled to be spending this time with you today. In just uh, a few hours, in fact, I wrote this a few hours ago and said in just a few hours, so it might have be happening, actually. Um, the Boston Marathon is today. 30,000 people are participating today in the 126th Boston Marathon. Um, not everybody who qualified for the race is actually going to be allowed to run. 63 people who qualified for the Boston Marathon are being banned from participating. Why? Well, because they are Russian or Belarusian. And the 63 people hailing from Russia or Belarus are being banned from participating in the marathon due to Russia's um, ongoing war in Ukraine. And Belarus is, uh, has not been in the center of our conversation very much. And so I think it's important to recognize and acknowledge that Russia is not alone in its assault on the people of Ukraine. And in fact, today there are indications that Syrian fighters are joining as well. Um, And so let's be aware of that. Let's be cognizant of that. Um, China is supplying Russia with unknown, um, unknown supplies because there are plane loads, you know, headed from China into Russia and we don't know what's in those. There are also other nations around the world that are, sympathetic to Russia's efforts. So when we think the whole world is lined up against Russia, let's just be mindful that um, that's not true. Uh, There are many countries lined up against Russia and working alongside the United States and our global partners to bring an end to Russia's uh, efforts to um, overtake the nation of Ukraine. But Russia's not alone, not completely isolated in all of this. So the Boston Marathon, back to this for just a moment. Um, the Boston Marathon is is being run today. And anytime a marathon is run, it gives us the opportunity as Christians to acknowledge that the Christian life is in some ways like a marathon. It is not a sprint. It is an endurance race. And Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 to 3, always comes to mind for me anytime I, uh, you know, I hear that a marathon is being run. 
So Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 to 3, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. So in this race of endurance, this Christian life that we are now running, um, how is it that we are supposed to run, that we are counseled to run the race set before us? Well, first of all, with no extra baggage. So um, whatever it is that you are carrying around that you need to leave at the empty tomb, Um, Let me invite you to drop it there today. We are going to run with perseverance. And in order to run with perseverance, um, we are going to have to have a level of determination. So no extra baggage, running with perseverance, recognizing we're surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. They are cheering us on. Um, And where are we going to run? Just any direction that we want to go? No, no. The race has already been marked out for us. Runners in a marathon run a course and they shall not depart from it. You and I also, as Christians, run a course. It's a race marked out for us. So yes, run with perseverance, with no extra baggage, uh, recognizing you're surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses, but actually run the race that's marked out for you. Like, do, do the next right thing God has put in front of you to do. Keep the divine appointments that God has set. God has already prepared in advance all of the good works that he intends for us to do, and he equips them for us. So let's find out what those are. Let's be discerning, and then let's run that race. Let's run in the way of Christ, not getting in Christ's way, but actually running in the way that he has set out for us. Fixing our eyes on Jesus. That's the other thing that's in this passage that I think is so critical. Fixing our eyes on Jesus. Are your eyes fixed on Jesus today? The world is full of distractions. Some of them beautiful and tempting, others of them horrific and distracting. What does it mean to fix your eyes on Jesus today and to acknowledge and recognize that he is the pioneer and perfecter of your faith? It was for the joy set before him. What is that joy, by the way? Well, his joy is complete when we are reconciled to the Father. So for the joy set before him, for the joy of you and I reconciled to the Father, Through his sacrifice, for the joy set before him, Jesus endured the cross, scorning its shame, ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father. That's where where he is right now. He has risen from the dead, he has ascended into heaven, and he is seated at the right hand of the Father. The passage in Hebrews says, consider him. So let us consider him today, even as we do not grow weary or lose heart as we run this marathon known as the Christian life. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LaBerge, and this is Faith Radio.
together. I'm, I'm Carmen LaBerge. You're listening to Faith Radio. This is Mornings with Carmen. Hello. Hello. On this day after Easter, let's just take a moment together to consider truth and consequences and lies and consequences. So when we think about um, the truth, the truth that sets us free, when we think about the truth that we know um, about who Jesus is and why he came and what he did and what he accomplished on the cross and the reality of the resurrection, when we think about the truth, when we think about truth as a transcendental reality, uh, one of the three, goodness, beauty, and truth, when we think about Jesus as the way and the truth and the life, when we think about Jesus standing before Pilate and um, Pilate saying, what's what's truth got to do with all of this? Like, pshaw, truth. We think about truth in the culture today. And then when we think about lies and we think about deception and we, we think about um, just how convinced of lies people have become, the suppression of the truth and the exchanging of the truth about God for lies. When we think about all of that, I want us to consider the consequences. Truth has consequences and lies have consequences as well. So I'm going to borrow here from a piece that was first published um, by Gene Veith back in 2007 in uh, Table Talk magazine. So it's 15 years ago now, um, but it is a conversation about truth and consequences. And he starts off by saying truth is a word that these days nearly uh, always comes with quotation marks around it. We call those scare quotes now. He says many people today um, believe that there isn't such a thing as truth. There was a time when most um, people in terms of apologetics, um, the, the, you know, most people were debating the existence of God. Today, he says, apologists, those of us who want to have a conversation about God and um, godliness or God and goodliness, we have to deal with an even more fundamental issue. And that is the question of whether or not truth even exists. So before you get into a debate about whether or not God exists, How do you get into a conversation about whether or not truth exists? And if it exists, how do you discover it? How do you know it? Can the truth be known? And if it can be known, what difference does that make? We're going to talk about truth and its consequences up next. All right, let's talk for a minute about truth and consequences. Um, We want to be people of truth. We want to be people who seek the truth and people who speak the truth. We want to be people um, of the way and the truth and the life. We are a people um, as followers of Christ who have been set free by the truth. We live in the truth, but we live in the midst of a world that denies truth even exists. So that's a challenge. And I want to I want to pause here for a moment. I just want to talk about the challenge of living in a post-truth culture. Um, because a person's view of the truth has consequences. Certainly a culture's view of the truth has consequences. And we live in the midst of a culture that has 
in many ways, lost touch with the truth. And, and so I want to just spend a moment as we apply the mind of Christ to the issues of the day. I'm going to take a moment and take a deep breath and talk about the times in which we live and then how we're going to apply the mind of Christ to the times in which we live, the unique times in which we live. So in, in pre-modern days, let's say from the time of the ancient Greeks through the Reformation, maybe even all the way through, I don't know, the 17th or into the 18th century, okay? There were, um, there were all kinds of recognized truth. But in the midst of that, there was this acknowledgement of, of a world beyond the world that you could see and taste and touch and hear and, right? So there was, a, there was an acknowledgement that the system was not closed. Um, there was an openness and an awareness of spiritual influence. Okay, so that's pre-modern time. Then we move into modernism, okay, and and a focus and an emphasis on science and on reason, and none of those are bad. Reason leads to truth. Science leads to truth. Um, but for some people, that also led them to see the system itself as closed, and therefore they became hyper-focused on um, that which could be discerned through reason and through science to the exclusion of revelation. So the system becomes then closed. Well, once you have shut God out of being able to speak to you, right, you've literally closed your eyes and your ears to the possibility that God could be communicating, that, that there is a God and that he has spoken. That would be the way Schaefer would describe it. Uh, Francis Schaefer, for those of you looking for a touch point for the way I am approaching this conversation. Um, then, uh, then you imagine that you alone are the one, or humanity alone uh, are the ones, who can discern the truth and can establish the truth. Well, then truth becomes not a transcendent reality, not a transcendental reality, not something that God is and therefore we discern, but something that, well, frankly, we create among ourselves by some sort of mutual agreement as to what the truth is. So there is there are consequences to which way you approach this, that the universe is personal, that there is a God and that he has spoken, that revelation is real, and that through revelation we know things. That's epistemology. It's the way we think about things, the way we know things, versus this approach, this more modern approach that says, nope, the system is closed. There is no God. So he certainly has not spoken. So there's nothing here to be um, discerned in terms of truth. There are truths to be discovered through scientific um, practices or methodologies, but the system is closed. And truth is inside the system if there is any truth. And the further you get into this, um, the the more vacuous the conversation becomes because the universe becomes this impersonal um, byproduct of chemicals and space and time 
which of course have an origin, but is, that's utterly ignored by those who would um, who would argue that the system is closed <clears throat> and has no intelligent design and no intelligent designer. So if you restrict the range of information to that which is inside the system, um, that is what modernism does. And then you arrive at postmodernism because sometime in, let's say, the 1960s, um, you get to the place where modernists have run out of of good ideas for why things are continually getting worse. And so postmodernists say, well, there are no absolutes at all. Um, truth is not revealed. Truth is not discovered. Truth is a construction. Truth is something that someone or some group of people comes up with to constrain others. It's a cultural construction. And so uh, truth is not reality, but truth is what some group of people has come up with to force everybody else to go along with. Um, and it's, you know, it's about dominance and subjugation. Okay, you see how truth then becomes maligned, right? Um, and you can also see how moving forward, each individual gets to construct their own truth because, well, that would be real liberty. Now, just think about the consequences of that thought process for just a moment. If you believe that truth is nothing more than a construction, personal or otherwise, that has consequences. That has consequences for morality. Because then each choice is not based on some moral principle or some truth with a capital T that is applied to everyone by a sovereign God. Truth, small t, as it arises from the individual experience and the fleeting feelings of the individual at the time. And then I want you to imagine living in a culture where each person gets to choose what truth is in the moment. That's where we arrive when we seek to apply the mind of Christ to the matters of the day. And for you and I, we are going to apply Scripture, what God has revealed about what is true and what is good and what is holy and what is righteous and what his will is. We're going to use scripture, revelation, and then we're going to look at Christian tradition and see what Christians have said about this over the course of time. And then, yes, we are going to examine reason and everything that that science tells us in the time period in which we live. And then, yes, we are going to consider our feelings and human experience. But in postmodernism, that whole thing is turned on its head. And human experience reigns supreme. Next is a conversation about reason. And then Christian tradition and revelation aren't even considered any longer because, well, they're irrelevant because, after all, the system is closed and I am the person alone making all the decisions about myself, for myself, for what I determine to be the good. So this is the challenge that you're facing when you are seeking to have a conversation today um, about everything under the sun. When you are hearing that in Alabama, um, Governor Ivey has signed a bill into law making Alabama the third state to ban children from receiving hormone therapy and puberty blockers, and that already um, that is being um, assaulted on a federal level because there are those in the Biden Justice Department who claim that those protections um, are afoul of anti-discrimination laws, and you say to yourself, how could that possibly be true? How could it be possible that we have to make a law against um, stunting, preventing 
the natural process of puberty in children. How, how could it be possible that we have arrived at this point? Well, we have arrived at this point because there, there are a lot of people who no longer regard truth as revealed, God as real, um, and, and the scriptures as applicable to the realities of life. And so you end up with a suppression of the truth and an ultimate subversion of it. So we will continue here every single day, applying the mind of Christ to the issues of the day, and we will use this process. What has God said in his revealed word of the Old and New Testaments? What does Christian tradition tell us? What have Christians over time said about these things? How do we apply um, the most contemporary of scientific thought to these conversations? What does reason tell us? And then, yes, let us consider human experience, our own and that of others. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LeBurge. We are bringing the mind of Christ to bear on the issues of the day, and we'll be right back. As Christians, one of the words we often hear and the challenges we uh, every day confront is the conversation about discernment. What does discernment mean? What does it mean to be discerning? What are the things that need to be discerned as a Christian? And we often um, think that that is just about decision-making, and that's the way that we apply it. There are decisions to be made. We want to discern the will of God um, in those matters, and then those are the things that we will obediently do. But what if discernment is so much more than that? What if discernment is actually about knowing God intimately? What if we've we've put discernment down into this little into this little square box when really it's supposed to be this expansive, massive moment by moment intimate experience with the Lord our God? We're going to talk about the discerning life up next with Steve Machia. He is the author of The Discerning Life. An invitation to notice God in everything. Steve Machia joins us now, among other things. He is the author of The Discerning Life. Steve, welcome to Mornings with Carmen. Thank you, Carmen. Great to be with you. It's wonderful to have you. All right, so we have been um, maybe thinking in uh, in the wrong way about discernment and uh, all along. So uh, open open the window for us and invite us into this much more expansive view of the discerning life. Well, thank you. Um, the book I wrote, "The Discerning Life: An Invitation to Notice God in Everything." Um, is written to expand our horizons of the understanding of the the big word discernment, which I really believe since you know the early pages of the scripture, God has been trying to make himself known to his people, and he goes through all sorts of uh, efforts to to do so and in our current day, he still wants to make himself known to us. And there are obvious times when that happens, and there are times when we need to wait on God, and then there are times when we need to consider options and discern options. And so much of the discernment literature today is about the third. 
you know, the, the considering options, looking at various ways of, should I do this or should I do that? Should, is it A or is it B? And I get to that in this book um, later in, in the eighth chapter, actually. I talk about a process for discernment, which is basically 10 questions that we need to consider. But the first seven chapters are all about how do we know God? How do we discern him? How do we see him? And here we are a couple of day, a day after Easter, and it's appropriate to even consider the, you know, the road to Emmaus story. What is the road to Emmaus story all about? It's discerning Jesus's presence by those two disciples that are forlorn and discouraged and downhearted. And Jesus comes alongside them and walks with them on that seven-mile journey to Emmaus. And that's really what I'm talking about. The majority of the time in our life, Jesus is coming alongside us, and he wants us to notice him. And it's in the noticing him that we are discerning his presence. And our eyes, the eyes of our heart, really come alive when we finally see him and say, Oh my goodness, were not our hearts burning within us when he walked with us along the way and opened the scriptures to us? It's one of my favorite passages of scripture is Luke 24. And I love that road to Emmaus story. And I'm basically saying that's, that's our life too. Let's notice Jesus along our journey and not just when we need to make a big decision. We we think about, you know, God revealing himself, making himself known in creation um, sufficiently to the point that people are without ex- excuse. I think about um, Moses turning aside and, and actually considering this bush that is burning and then God yeah. revealing himself in that and taking off his shoes and recognizing this is holy ground. I wonder um, how long we linger and consider all the ways in which Jesus makes the Father known. Um, do we, you know, do we recognize that Jesus exegetes the Father, that, you know, he came to make him known, um, but that often we're just, we're just so busy um, being sure that we get whatever it is that Jesus came to give us and do for us, that maybe we fail to consider that this revelation of who the Father is and the character of the Father um, is ultimately what we get in Jesus. I think you're absolutely right, Carmen. It's what it's the incarnation. The incarnation is God God sent his son to this world for us to see him, uh to know him, to watch how he speaks and interacts and the way in which he pours out grace upon grace upon grace and comes to take on the ultimate sacrifice, his very life, so that we can know him most intimately. And when you even think back to the time when Jesus was walking planet Earth, it was the religious leaders who kept the people from seeing who Jesus was over and over and over again. And we need to be careful today that we as leaders or radio personalities, um, we need to be opening the eyes of those to see Jesus uh, walking with us, coming alongside us, healing us, forgiving us, restoring us, bringing us into newness of life, because that's why he came. And so the incarnation is, is capstone of all the biblical texts that, that we await. The, we await the coming Messiah, and then the Messiah ends up 
like we celebrated this past weekend. He ends up on the cross, sacrificing his full life so that we can have a full and abundant life. And that's what I'm all about. I, I, want, to, I want to experience the abundant life. And the abundant life today includes everything, the, the good, the bad, the hard, the ugly. How do we notice God in the midst of life? Well, it begins with having a prayer closet where I can notice him in the biblical text and in my prayer life. But then it grows and expands into our community, that we're to have a graced community where we're hospitable to one another and to the people who come alongside us in our in this life. And then to what, we're to have a mission together, to, to go and give and love and serve in Jesus' name. So all of it requires discernment. All of it requires an understanding of where are you, God? Are you calling us? Are you inviting us? Are you making yourself known? I love the Moses story because it took a burning bush to finally get Moses' full attention. And, you know, sometimes it is a burning bush and sometimes it's just a tap on the shoulder, a gentle tap or a gentle word whispered into our ears. And so the fullness of God is to be known and lived and understood. And I know, Carmen, that's your conviction with your radio uh, ministry as well. And yeah, I'm just here to come alongside you to say, yes, let's encourage every single listener to notice God in everything. Amen. So we are talking with Steve Machia. We're talking about uh, his new book, The Discerning Life, an invitation to notice God in everything. And yeah, I know you're listening right now and you're saying, I, I, I want that. I, I yearn for this. I need help. Well, we have copies of the book to give away, so you can enter the drawing by texting the word book to 877-933-2484. Steve, when when people ask the question, like, how can I know God? Is God even knowable? Mm. This starts starts with um, an acknowledgement that God is and that God has revealed himself. This, God's not hiding. Can you can you start there with us? Yeah, he is not hiding. He, he's been initiating towards his people literally since the creation. Every single gift that he delights to give, he's offered and he's made himself known. He's not, he's not um, a, a hidden God. He's an obvious God. But we are the ones who have closed eyes or closed ears or a closed heart. So today, I wonder for every listener, just notice the beauty that surrounds you. Notice the people that God has given to you in your life. Notice the opportunities that are in front of you to, to, to be a graced presence to another. What, what, what would it be like if you chose forgiveness today and offered that to every person that crossed your path? How different would your life be? So we want to notice what God wants to do in us and through us because he's working around us all the time. It goes back to that uh, Luke 24 passage. Were not our hearts burning within us when he walked with us along the way? So let's pay attention to those burning heart moments, not heartburn, and not a, not a burned out heart, but a, 
a burning heart, a burning sense. I mean, we just came out of Easter. If, if, if you went to church yesterday, I'm sure there were burning heart experiences as you celebrated the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Let's, let's live there together as the people of God. And let's notice the obvious ways that God makes himself known in creation, in relationships, in the church, in the wider world. Um, we are given opportunity to represent the God of the universe in every facet of our lives, not just it, parts and pieces of it, but every facet. Steve Machia takes us into um, who God is, and he helps us explore that. The book is The Discerning Life, an invitation to notice God in everything. We're giving away copies. If you'd like to enter the drawing, you can text the word book to 877-933-2484. We're going to continue this conversation in just a moment. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LeBurge, and this is Faith Radio. We're talking with Steve Machia. Uh, among other things, he is the author of The Discerning Life. I'm going to read uh, two paragraphs from page 222. Spiritual discernment is not for the faint of heart. It's for those who courageously desire to walk a different way than the world espouses and seek the profound intimacy offered generously by God alone. The discerning life is liberating. It's a life lived under the shadow of God's wings, safely trusting and resting in his presence. We are set free to keep coming back home to the heart of God, regardless of how quickly um, our homes, uh, or how, excuse me, how quirky our homes may be or how peculiar our lives may look. We come to our senses and return daily to the eyes and the heart of the Father who is waiting with open arms, pure delight. Um, Steve, first of all, thank you. The, gift, uh, the book is beautiful. The gift of the invitation is, um, is significant. Talk with us about practicing a preference for God. What does that mean? Oh, that's my favorite phrase. Um, my mentor, Reuben Job, who compiled several guides to prayer in his lifetime, he's, he's now with Jesus, um, but he, he summarized the term spiritual discernment in that phrase, practicing a preference for God. And that's really what I'm picking up on here in this book is basically saying all of life, we have an opportunity to practice a preference for God rather than a preference for ourselves is to say, what would God want me to say or do in this moment? So how do I interview the Holy Spirit to say, how do I prefer you, God, as opposed to preferring even myself? So at the end of every chapter, I have a section called Practicing a Preference for God with three spiritual practices for the reader to consider related to the topic of the chapter. So I love that phrase, practicing a preference for God. It's easily memorizable, if you will, so that we can say, what would God prefer right now in this moment, in this decision, in this relationship, in the thing that I'm just about to say or do? God, I want you to be number one in my heart, in my life. I want to prefer you. So I give several um, suggestions in the book to help you practice that preference for God. And then I have a 50-page appendix in the back that comes from my mentor, Reuben Job, and some of the materials that he wrote about spiritual discernment as a lifestyle. 
How do we practice a preference for God? Even today, even in the moments of the next hour, uh, to interview the Spirit, Lord, how do you how do you want me to live fully for you? In my hospitality, in my listening to a friend, in the decisions that I'm about to make, in the way in which I'm to spend my money, in the way in which I'm to spend my time, Lord, I want to prefer you. I want to notice you. It's a it's an it's an upside down lifestyle change. It's a radical change because. It's focused on the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, the the very favorite topic of Jesus. He wanted people to live in and for and all about his kingdom. And that's a radical departure from the rest of our world. Okay, so a couple of times, Steve, you've you have said interview the spirit or interviewing the spirit. Yeah. Um I, I imagine that for a lot of people right now, they talk to Jesus or they talk mm-hmm. to the Father, they don't interview the Spirit. You are saying <laughs> that intentionally. And so can you talk about that? I am saying it intentionally because I do think that the majority of our prayer life, Carmen, is us talking to God, um, spelling things out, crying out to God, all of which is good, all of which is important, whether our prayers are upward, outward, or inward. But there's a time when we just need to ask the question and then listen to the voice of God. If we were to, you know, God gave us two ears and one mouth. Let's double the listening and half the words. And let's say, God, how do you want to speak to me in this moment? I want to, I want to ask you. So imagine for, you know, for us to say, God, I want to, uh, I want to know you more intimately in this moment. How is it that you want to speak to me? And so his word comes alive in that moment. My prayers come alive in that moment. And my discerning of his presence comes alive in that moment. Whether it's a prick of conscience, whether it's a tap on the shoulder, whether it's a direct word from his word, how are we to live for him? I think there are ways in which we need to be doing that on a regular basis. So rather than saying, okay, um, I'm going to have a we're going to go about the work of the day and not at all pay attention to God. And at the end of the day, say, God, would you just bless what I just did over the past eight hours? What if we were to say in the next eight hours, Lord, would you instruct me and teach me in the way in which I'm to go? So it's, it's a nuance, but it's a significant nuance. It's a, it's a change in the way in which we relate to God so that it's a continual conversation where I'm speaking and I'm listening. I'm requesting, I'm inquiring of God, interviewing the Spirit, and then I'm attending to the way in which he's speaking to me, through his word, through the people around me, and just noticing. I want to notice God. And I think that's the essence of what it means to live a discerning life. Let's notice God together. Wouldn't that be awesome? I think think that's radical. (laughs) Yeah, it'd be so awesome. And it would change not only our individual lives, it would change the reality of the church and then the witness of the church in the world and then the world. And, you know, right. Yeah. It's, it's yeah. So yeah, um, you guys totally. can find Steve Machia at leadershiptransformations.org, leadershiptransformations.org. Um, he teaches at Gordon-Conwell Theological Seminary in uh, Southampton, Massachusetts. He's the author of 15 books. Um and he's he's busy. He's the director of the Pierce Center for Disciple Building and serves on the teaching team of 
the Spiritual Formation for Ministry Leaders Doctor of Ministry cohort at Gordon-Conwell. Um, I suspect, Steve, that um, you know my friend Jim Singleton. And if you do, will you give him a hug? I will. I love Jim and Sarah. Jim. They are wonderful. They are leaving this year and heading back to Spokane, Washington. So we're going to miss them terribly. I know. And so the next time you see him, I just want you to go and say, this hug is from Carmen LaBerge. And then you just okay. have to give him a big bear hug. Okay. I promise I will do that, Carmen. Prepare I yourself promise. to be delighted with the reaction. So, um, yeah, Steve, what a delight to be with you. Thank you. Um, thank you so much. We are giving away copies of The Discerning Life, an invitation to notice God in everything. Steve Machia is uh, the author. Text the word book to 877-933-2484. Um, Steve, have such a blessed day. Thank you so much for joining thank us. Thank you, Carmen. God bless Absolutely. you and all your listeners. Likewise, we'll be right back. It is Easter. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. This changes everything. I want you to consider lingering today at the cross and at the empty tomb. Maybe you don't like the word linger. Um, Pause. Hesitate. Turn aside. Wait. Hmm. I'm sure I've got other linger words here. Let me think about them for a moment. Um. Have we done consider or consideration? Gaze, revel, pause, look. Consider Jesus today. Consider that Jesus came to make the Father known to you. And then ask, what would God prefer? And then ask God, God, what would you prefer? What do you prefer in this moment? Do you prefer that I remain silent? Do you prefer that I speak? Do you prefer that I sit? Do you prefer that I stand? And then just recognize the reality that he is and that he is love and that he is yours and that you are his. And rest in that reality and let it be enough. See God today. See God in the ordinary and in the extraordinary It's an invitation to notice God in everything. Let's spend our day doing that. Have a great day and God bless. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.